All right, so now we're <clears throat> three points into where I was starting, and now we're recording this thing. So sorry about that, Dan. All right, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. And let's, who will, let's start in verse 1 on that one. Go ahead, Emma. Verse 1 uh, through verse 4, please. Thank you very much, Emma. So we have we have the gospel here, right? So First Corinthians, written by Paul, um, he received something, right? We see that in, in 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 several places here that he received what he had heard, right? So he received what was uh, according to the scriptures that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to scripture. Okay, so we keep getting back to. The truth. These are basic truths. This is not something advanced. This is not something that requires um, a degree to understand. These are basic truths of Scripture that they're that they're that they're recalling here, and um, and he was compelled to pass it along. So that we, this basic trend that we have here is a knowledge of Scripture and an ability to recall Scripture, which comes from the preaching of Scripture. But knowledge has to be turned into a desire to share that knowledge, right? Because that's what we're called to do. When we become believers, we're called to share that scripture. Um, and Paul obviously had a passion to do that. And the Corinthians, we won't get into what the book of Corinthians is about, but it's correction, right? The Corinthian church had gone astray. And so he's, he, Paul is correcting the Corinthians church here. So let's, I'm going to turn, turn the table just a little bit, still looking at scripture. We're going to turn to second Peter. Okay. So in closer to the end of the old Testament, Sorry, thank you. New Testament. Uh, chapter 1, verse 20. Probably Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Who will read that for me? Uh, Travis, go ahead. All right, thank you. So no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. So he's reminding them what Scripture is. So remember, this is the second letter that, that, he's writ, that uh, has been written here to the believers that he affectionately calls aliens. Why are they aliens? <laughs> they're, scattered. they're scattered. They've been dispersed. So that's one reason they're aliens. Another reason they're aliens is they have a different view of the world than everyone else. They're believers in Jesus Christ. And so they've been scattered. And so... So, we're, so where does scripture come from, though, in this passage? Where does it come from? You guys can speak out. From the Holy Spirit. From the Holy, from the Holy Spirit, speaking through who? God. Okay, through God, and who else? Men filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, men filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not the Holy Spirit just speaking into a crowd of people, but it's speaking into men. And uh, they spoke. They spoke from God. So we see that He's there to warn them of false teachers, 
And, um, and when we get to chapter 3, so you can see that chapter 2 is all about what's going on with false prophets and false teachers rising up, okay? And what are they rising up to do? Contradict Scripture, okay? They're there to contradict Scripture, and we're trying to get back on pace. So chapter, chapter 3, I want you guys to look at this. Um, he, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, he tells us in uh, the second letter, the third chapter of that letter, they didn't have chapters in, but so more than midway through the letter, he's going to tell them why he's writing to them. So who will read verses 1 through 4? Ian, go ahead. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his com coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues, just as it was from the beginning of creation. Thank you very much. So, so just look at that. Peter's warning to them. If you look in verse 1, he says, I'm stirring up your uh, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. This is starting to kind of beat a drumbeat here. Reminders, reminders, reminders that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and spoken by your apostles. So we see these constant reminders. And I don't want us to get bored of reminders, okay? Reminders are not a bad thing. We need reminders. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in Scripture so much, okay? So I'm just pointing out a few times where we have reminders. That's what they saw as, as a big thing. And I, I think the question is, is, is why? Why are there so many reminders? What do you guys think? Why do we need so many reminders? John, give so us... Forgetful. We're so forgetful. Yeah. Out of the mouth of a 12-year-old? So what do you think it's like when we get old like, like me? You know, <laughs> you think you're forgetful. I mean, what else about just us being forgetful? What's, an, what's another reason we need reminders? So let's say we have perfect memory. Yeah, so temptations of the flesh. So I'm going to just simply call that distractions, right? So there's distractions all over the place. And are those, those distractions, are they filled with truth? Not usually, right? It's usually Satan tried to, trying to distract us. I mean, we could, we could go back to Genesis chapter 3, right? And, and see that those distractions are, are prevalent. So I'm going to, one more thing on Scripture, and yes, we're actually going to get to Hebrews. So let's go, do 2 Timothy first, though. So go, go back a few books of the Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Very familiar passage. Um, probably a favorite of mine, so I go back to it a lot. 316 through 45. Who will read that? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. Thank you. Oh, one more. oh yeah, yeah. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, 
Do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry? All right, I think we could have an entire application class on this, but I just want us to be reminded that all Scripture is inspired by God. Um, but look at verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, okay? And when you see these kind of things in Scripture, I'm not asking you to change what Scripture says, but personalize it. I charge you, Chad. I charge you, Ronnie. I charge you, Travis. Because Paul is charging Timothy to hold firm in the faith here. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is, a, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word, Ronnie. Be ready in season and out season. So we see the importance of it. We need to be ready. We need to understand what it says. It doesn't mean we have to be theologians, but we need to understand practically what it says, because in verse 3, there is a time coming, and we know that time is right now, that they will not endure sound doctrine. So you, Timothy, I charge you. So are we the you or are we the them? <laughs> That's the question. Are, where are we in this? Because I think it's so easy for us to become that they in verse 3, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickles, they will accumulate for themselves. Me, 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 my, mine. The stuff I want, that's what I'm going to accumulate rather than the stuff that I'm charged with by the word of God. So, so hopefully that kind of gets us set straight because this kind of sets the compass of where I want to show a few things in Hebrews. That scripture is something that we can't dismiss and we have to really understand what's in scripture. And I don't think there, there's profound points in every one of these passages we just went through. And we could, we could probably spend multiple Sunday schools going through just those passages alone. There's a lot in them. I'm just trying to pull out some basic truths of how critical it is for us to understand the truths of Scripture. And we think about the sufficiency of Christ in each one of those. Christ is sufficient. He's all-sufficient for our salvation as believers, and he's all sufficient to save us from our sins. Those that don't know him, scripture, the word of God is the only thing that will save us from our sins. And so, so, so with that, I want to, I want to get us over to, uh, to Hebrews, I think. Let me just make sure I'm, I'm on pace here with my notes. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm basically okay. <laughs> Um, so t let's turn to the book of Hebrews now. So just a couple of books over from uh, 2 Timothy. Is anyone, other than the, those that are going to the men's study, has anyone spent much time in Hebrews? All right. You're in the men's study. Um, it's, it's a wonderful book. Um, if, if you're a man and you'd like to come, please join us. We're having, we're having a good time on Saturdays. Um, I didn't know a lot about the book of Hebrews. What do you, what do you guys think of when you think of, if, if, if you were to think of one thing that's in the book of Hebrews that you, that, that would say, yeah, what is the one thing that you would think about? I think I know what everyone's going to say. Wait, Ian. You're in the study, so. What do, you, what do you guys think of when you think of the book of Hebrews? What is the first topic that you think of? All right, John. The definition of faith. The definition of faith, okay. All right. Anyone else think that too? Yeah, we have a list, and what is that, chapter 11, we haven't gotten that in the men's study, we have this, this hall of faith, right, all these men and, and, and what, what they did and how they triumphed in the faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God, right, that's, that's kind of what we think of when we think of Hebrews, and I was hoping that was the answer I was going to get, because that's what I've always, always thought of, and so as we've been going through this study, like I said, we're only four chapters in, we're not quite there yet, okay, 
it's interesting to see how the book starts out and why by the 11th chapter it starts talking about faith. Um, because the beginning of it is much different. It's talking about distractions. So you get to this hall of faith, and these were, the, these were men who endured. How many of those men were perfect that are listed there? Yeah, zero. Zero of them were perfect, but they endured. And so that's what I love about this book of Hebrews. And, you know, obviously we're not going to touch on every detail here, but I want to, some high-level takeaways to just this sufficiency of Scripture, and, and we're going to see what it's about. So, um, so let's, uh, let's look at how this book starts out, first of all. Um, so turn to, I think you guys are already there. So we're going to look at these, the first four verses here. Um, I'm not going to get into who wrote the book of Hebrews. I did this in the men's study. We don't know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of theories out there, but I won't get into that one. So if you're, if you're asking, I'll talk with you afterwards on, on what, we, what we think we've come to. But I don't think anyone truly knows. So, um, so verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read this out loud. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I'm sorry. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. All right, so um, any, uh, who, who's, who's, this, who's this passage about? Well, let me start with this one. Is this, is this pretty easy to understand, these first four verses, pretty straightforward? Elementary reading? So if we asked some five or six-year-olds, would they understand all this? Probably not. That's what I think. I mean, when I read this, it is, I mean... Think about this. Uh, spoke long ago to the fathers uh, in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. He's the heir of all things. So we see who is this about? Christ. Christ. It's about Christ. Um, but he's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation. I mean, there's some deep theological stuff here. Okay? I don't think this is for kids. Okay? It's for mature people that have been around the word of God. Hopefully believers, but it's it's complex. The other thing that's kind of interesting is um, that the way it's worded is so different than any other book in the New Testament. Where, where's where's the uh, where's all of the flattery and you know I love to welcome you that we see in the Paul, in, in Paul's epistles. We don't see all these welcoming statements and I miss you and I long to be with you and I want to pray for you. You guys kind of thinking through, you know, Galatians and Ephesians and even the uh, first and second Timothy and Titus. They all start out with pretty positive stuff. This one, not negative, but it is it's solid. Like this is just packed full of good, good scripture that's, I would say, beyond foundational. Um, it's beyond foundational. Um, and so what we're going to find out, what you find out through this book is it really wasn't written to new believers. It was written to those who were churched. Now, what you find out through the book is it's probably written to three different people. It's written to people that are believers, walking. Are there any believers that are walking today, including all of us in this room, that don't need additional teaching? The right answer is no. Thank you. I see some nods. 
So the right answer is no. There are people that are saying they are believers. We don't know if they truly are, but they're definitely claiming to be believers. And then there's people in the church that are definitely not believers. And so as you go through um, the book of Hebrews, it's clear there's three groups of people. And I think, you know, the reason, again, when I started thinking about, okay, what can I teach at a moment's notice? This is the thing that's hit me so hard in the book of Hebrews is this is Copperfield Bible Church. I mean, it is Copperfield Bible Church. It's probably a lot of other churches too, but it's our church. And I don't like personally reading a book and thinking, man, those poor Hebrews, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't have their act together because it points right back at me too. I don't know what's going on. I don't have my act together. And I think that's what the Lord wants us to pull from, from these letters that we have. This scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching and reproof and for training in righteousness. Okay? Three of those require, require us recalling something. Teaching is the only thing that's new, right? The rest of them is us recalling things. And so we're, the book of Hebrews is all about, do you remember how you were saved? And then there's going to be some rebukes on, I'm not so sure if you're saved, right? Um, so he's going he's to confront them, okay? The author's going to confront them. Um, so, so the first thing that you see that's kind of interesting here is verse 4. Take a, take a look at verse 4. And by the way, verses 1 through 3, again, there's so much packed in there. We could, we could go on forever. But verse 4 is the first one that's a little bit alarming. Having become, so we know verses 1 through 3 is talking about Christ, Right? We see that he's the radiance of, of the Father's glory, his exact representation of its nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. What in the world is this? Where did the angels thing come from? Why are we all of a sudden talking about angels? Think about in, your, in the New Testament. Do, you, do we see angels come up that much? Someone, I mean, you guys correct me. I mean, you guys are smarter than I am in scripture. I don't remember angels becoming a topic, really. I mean, you see some things, right? I mean, we see the, we, you know, uh, with Mary, we see the Holy Spirit coming, but we don't see angels everywhere. We're about to go in, <clears throat> and we're not right now. We're going to go through a chapter and a half about why Christ is superior to the angels. I think that's interesting. I don't know why. But at this time, the, he, these, the letter to the Hebrews, it was decided that angels needed to be addressed. And it needed to be addressed because they were placing, and we're not going to go through all this. I'll let you guys read this on your own. They were placing angels above Christ. That there was something with angels that was going to require an addition to their salvation. Remember your former purification from sin is what he's going to say. <clears throat> so I think it's really interesting. And. And I want us to think about that as well. Um, when we think about angels, do we, do we really consider angels as being a problem for us today in the church? Do we have a lot of people worshiping angels? Not really. Okay, we can move past this because we're probably, this doesn't apply to us at all. Or we can think, well, what is, what is our modern day angels? What are the things that we're placing, that we've pulled in that says... Yes, Christ is sufficient, Christ is sufficient, but then I've been, I've been a believer for a long time, or I've been in the church for a long time, and there's some other things that I need to add that's going to help me in my salvation. It'll be a, it'll be a help. 
And I think what happens is angels weren't a bad thing. We see, we see, go to verse 14, chapter 1. He says, are, not, are, are they not all, talking about angels, ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So we see a purpose for these angels, okay? So there's a purpose for them. They're not inherently bad. But what is inherently bad is when we place angels ahead of our salvation or in addition to our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's, a, it's a question of are we drifting, again, from the sufficiency of Christ? And that's, that's kind of what I see here because um, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'll get, get there in a second. Um, so, we, so we've got angels here. We get into verse or chapter 2. You guys take a look at chapter 2. Um, he says, for this reason in verse 1, we must pay much closer attention. Pay closer attention. So if I'm, I can't pay closer attention if it's something brand new. So the, they know this already, right? Pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great of salvation after it was at first spoken through the Lord? To, uh, through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. And so we see, how shall we escape so great of salvation? Are they trying to escape their salvation here? So we see a problem. We see a problem that they're, that they're turning away from Christ in lieu of angels. And so, so the author here spends the rest of chapter 2 correcting their thinking. Okay, And there's, and there's a lot going on here in chapter 2, but basically um, it's, it's based on how do we prevent from drifting away from the sufficiency of Christ. That is the focus here. Our faith is built on the word of God and the steadfast truth, but do we believe that? And that's kind of what chapter 2 is about, is do we really believe that? And so we have... You know, we start introducing uh, Christ as this merciful and faithful high priest. Um, all these things, not new topics. It's all things that they knew when they came to know the Lord. And so it's really just, it's an amazing book as we look at the warnings. And it's really warnings about them being lazy and not recognizing from what they've been saved and by whom they've been saved um, that was all sufficient. So, um he continues to discuss the position of the angels and their purpose, that Christ alone was crowned with glory and honor, and all things are in subjection to him. So then in chapter 3, he brings us to this reality that distractions are not only possible, but they're real, and they'll turn us away from the sufficiency of Christ. And so if you look at chapter 3, he says, Therefore, holy brethren, he's, he's assuming they're all saved, right? He's saying, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was in all of his house. For he has been counted more worthy of, Mo, uh, of glory than Moses. All right, so now we're in the third chapter, and we've gone from the angels. Now he's starting to compare Jesus to Moses. <laughs> so I'll just, spoil alert, they're, 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 they must have been placing Moses in a position now where, hey, we're looking back at Moses because I may have missed this, but the book of Hebrews is called Hebrews for a reason. These are Jewish people, okay? So they understood their heritage. They were Jewish believers and Jewish, you know, make believers, but they knew their heritage. So now they're going back to those things they trust. And that could have been the reasons they were going back to angels as well, um, that there was a history of that. But they're going back and they're looking at Moses and so he starts correcting them on Moses as well. 
And he says, uh, verse 3, for he has been counted, Jesus has been counted more glory of, of, of more glory uh, than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Okay? For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So Moses was in the, he, he was in the house, but he was not the builder of the house. So he, it starts comparing. It says, now Moses was faithful in all of his house, verse 5, as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. So, um, so we see the difference, and, and he goes on and explains this a little bit more. Um, the place I want to camp out on, though, is, is, what, is what we have coming up. So we've got them, you know, I don't know if they were idolizing Moses, but they were at least placing him in a position that was helping with the salvation, right? Um, Christ did not need any help in his atonement for our sins, right? Christ accomplished all on the cross for our sins. There was no Moses needed. Moses, what was he doing? He was looking forward to that sign. He was looking for that hope, okay? He wasn't, he knew he wasn't God, right? But as soon as we start placing Moses in any kind of level with Christ, we've done a disservice to Christ. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things I want to, you know, I think about for myself, you know, what are those things that I'm putting in the place of Christ? And I think for us, in our um, very affluent society, it's easy to do it with our jobs, our savings account, um, our friends, the circle of people we hang out with, so many areas that we can put, and all of a sudden our sufficiency in Christ becomes a matter of, of, of compromise for us. Were you going to say something? Yeah, just, it, it seems like, <clears throat> as in the history of mankind, they were putting the created things, beings, yeah. ahead of Christ, just like what we do, because the angels were created. Yes, that's a good point. Us, and Christ was not. Yeah, good point. And that, yeah, that, that is an excellent point. The, we do this all the time. I mean, everything we find that is outside of Christ is always going to be created, right? And, and but yet we don't see, we see it as having value. And I mean, there's plenty of things. Our jobs have value. Our bank accounts have value, real value. I mean, we need them, right? I mean, those are things we've been commanded to do. So I'm not saying these things are bad. It's how do they weigh in the scales of our salvation and our eternal hope that we have, and where, where are we investing? So, um, so, so this is what's really interesting. So Hebrews, they know their Old Testament. So the book of Hebrews has so, I can't remember. I've got it in my first notes we did. I think it was like, uh, I'm probably overestimating this. I think it was 44 times in the book of Hebrews he reference, the author references the Old Testament, okay? So Old Testament has some validity, but usually he's correcting them with the Old Testament, right? He's using the, the Old Testament to correct their thinking. Verse 7, look at verse 7. There, this one's repeated three times. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. So when you hear his voice, what do you, what do you think hearing his voice was talking about? I need some, what do you guys think that was talking about? Holy Spirit, when you read the word. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me give you guys a little bit of uh, context to this. So this was the author of Hebrews. It was written in the 60s, referencing a Psalm of David, referencing the time of the Israelites in the wilderness. Okay. So we've got three references here. Okay. So let's go back to the original reference. Because he says, do not harden your hearts as the day when they provoke me. 
as in the day of trial in the wilderness. It wasn't an actual day. That was the 40 years in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years where I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So how, how did they hear his voice in the wilderness? What's that? They heard it. They heard it. Um, and like we've been seeing in early chapters of Matthew, they saw it with proofs, right? What do I mean by that? Miracles. Yeah, miracles. So they heard, they, yeah, they had a pillar of fire. I mean, there, we could go off, we could go naming all the things that they had that were proofs that they heard his voice. And it says here that they kept, they hardened their hearts. And it wasn't that they hardened their hearts once or twice or three times. This was 40 years of hardening their hearts, okay? So this is a, this is a big thing. And so this, it just, I love this because he repeats it three different times to make this point to these people. Would you, would you say this to someone if you didn't think, if you, if, you, if, you, if you had an assurance that they were trusting in Christ, would you say this to someone? I don't think so. There's no reason to, right? But... But the author to the Hebrews loved these people. And so he's confronting them with biblical truth. And he said, look, look what happened back during the, in the days of the wilderness. David then wrote about it again. Apparently technology hadn't changed enough. You know, the, they had invented the wheel now, and so that didn't help them. So they're, they're still hardening their hearts. Now we've got iPhones and everything else, and we still harden our hearts. So, I mean, we still need this message that today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Um, and I just, and I could go on with this one, and um, for the sake of time, I won't. Um, but this is, we're going to, so just, this is Psalm 95. Last, and I didn't pick these. Last week, our opening scripture was Psalm 95. This week it is as well. Psalm, this is the second half of Psalm 95. What I love, I said I wasn't going to do this. What I love about Psalm 95, because when you look at these Old Testament quotes, Go back and look at them and see the context. The context of this one's really cool. The context is, at the beginning, is David worshiping. It's all about, let us give you worship. Let us praise you. And then he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So it starts off with worship and ends up in correction and admonition. And so it's just, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And so... He's concerned, though, over unbelieving hearts and that they're going astray from the Lord. And I, you know, I just be reminded this is going out to these churched people. Remember that this was David's reminder to his people. And we see that this this trend hasn't changed for us today that we need to remember. And so, you know, I think about when we come to church to for Sunday school or for worship, you know, how do we come in and not harden our hearts? How do we prepare ourselves for worship? And it has, to be, it has to be focused on Scripture. And we know that there's churches all over the place that they're going to take you four other places where we can get more of an emotional experience. And emotions are good. The Lord gave us emotions. I think music can be very emotional. But does the music have content that points us straight to the Lord? And that's, and that's what he's, it's, it's like he's begging for them. He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And then he gives you all the reasons. Verse 12, I'm going to keep pushing on, then we'll, then we'll wrap this up. He says, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But 
encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so just a wonderful admonition here. Um, He doesn't want anyone to fall in that same position that the Israelites were in 40 years in the wilderness. They saw his promises. They were with God. The Holy Spirit was leading them. He was providing food for them. And so that's why it makes me think of our church. We are being fed the depths of Scripture. We cannot forget the foundation from where those depths come. It's the sufficiency in Christ. Do we see him as all-sufficient for our salvation? Take care, lest any one of you should have an unbelieving heart, but encourage one another. And I think that encouragement is what we need. It's so easy to go to a biblical church and just know what it says. But how do we encourage one another? Every one of us is going to fall into temptation. I mean, it's a given. We see that here. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church. So how do we encourage one another? We have to be around one another. And so that's my, that's really kind of my, my encouragement for me as I say this. This is very convicting. Um, but it has to become an exciting thing for us where we are around one another, not just from 9.30 to, to noon on a Sunday. We have to be around one another. And I think um, there, there's some other passages as we get into Hebrews a little bit further that talks about not forsaking the assembly together. And we see that once you, once you, you have knowledge, it can be very dangerous because that knowledge can start drifting if that knowledge doesn't come only from Scripture. Let's not focus on the angels. Let's not focus on, on Moses. They both have their part, right? They both have their part, but that's not where our salvation comes from. And that's not, that's not how we encourage one another. We encourage one another in Scripture. And we're, we're, we're fighting a battle every day. We're fighting a battle. I think back to, to Ben when he, when he was teaching about you know, our, our finances and how, or not our finances, our, uh, the situations that we come into. Where, you know, what do I do here? We go back to Scripture. I mean, that's what, that's, what ben, what, that's what Ben taught about, is going back to Scripture and how do we humble ourselves before our brother that may have, that may have made a wrong decision or maybe we wronged someone else. It's always going back to Scripture in the context of fellowship with one another to encourage one another. Um, so I think, you know, we're taught really well in this church the Scriptures. We have to know what are we doing with what we're being taught and are we preparing our mind to really see the excitement that scripture brings to us. So, um, you know, one of the things I wrote down is that we're not, we're not to be simply libraries um, that house this knowledge, but we should be living out the gospel. And, and sometimes I write things that are, more, that are super convicting to me too. So, because um, I think sometimes I love reading scripture, but it has to become something that we're living out. So, we can't stop that until the Lord returns. Um, and, you know, I, I praise the Lord for one of the things that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, some of you are doing well, but excel still more. Um, and, uh, and Paul says excel still more several times after some pretty tough rebukes. Um, so it's not, he's not trying to always beat them down and have them question their salvation, but he's trying to encourage them to excel still more. And I think that's, that's, what, that's what we all need. And I think uh, the book of Hebrews, as we're, we're just now getting into that fifth chapter, is, is doing for me. It's, it's egging us on to, to excel still more. Um, so I talked a lot, and I apologize. I really wanted to have it more interactive, so this is hard to do. <laughs> it's really hard to do, but... Um, it's time for us to close up. We got to get next door. Um, so, any any questions or comments before we? Uh
before we close up in a word of prayer. Yes, Marie. I just think of it in, in parenting. Mm. Light, in light of parenting. Okay. And Yeah. And and how do you do that? You know, sometimes I feel like I'm on my kids like right on right, you know, I'm just all over them. <laughs> and uh, and I keep trying to think, but it's it's not because I think you're bad, it's because I'm trying to grow you. I mean it's the responsibility God's given me as a parent. Mm. And uh, how do you do that without just completely demoralizing I mean <laughs> yeah. that balance is Yeah, if I had the answer that would be great, but I don't. Um, <laughs> but 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 the one thing I think about, I think about Titus. And I think about, you know, they're building up a church in the book of Titus. And what does it tell them to do? Younger men with older men. Younger women with older women. And it's not specifically talking about age. It's talking about maturity and spirituality. We've got to be around those that are more mature than us. Maybe, Lord willing, they've been down that path already. And they can share what worked and what didn't work in raising their children biblically. So, I mean... That's a, you know, we can't, we can't forget that there, everyone has advice. I mean, we, we go, we could order a thousand books today on parenting, right? 99.9% of them are garbage unless it starts out with scripture first. And so I think we, we have to take scripture and say, okay, now how do we use this and, and wise, wise counsel that has gone before us to help us in doing this and then be on our knees saying, Lord, I'm inadequate. I, I don't have the ability to do this. This is all, this is all of you. Um, please guide and direct my child's heart and my heart to uh, to instruct and teach. I mean, this is this is a it's a I, Rachel. I always joke that it's like we feel like we're in this like giant experiment, and if we screw this up, well, there goes our kids. Well, praise the Lord, <laughs> we have a gracious God, and and it's really in His it's in His charge, but but we do have the responsibility to impart the Word of God. So um, that was a good comment. All right, let me uh, actually, Ronnie, would you close us in prayer? Thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message and the truth of Scripture. This points us to the grand opportunity for us not to miss, but encourage one another and exhort one another that those truths may be ours, as you have provided them for us sufficiently and perfectly in your word. We ask for your blessing on the services today and all here and all the way. Yeah, please be merciful on those that are saved. In Jesus' name we ask you. Amen. Amen.